Hello, I'm Jeff Harrison and this is episode 27 of my podcast, As Life Goes By. Episode 27, I know where the bodies are buried. No kidding, really I do. In my new job as a church warden, I've got access to a big, ancient, beautifully drawn map and everything. The first interment in the churchyard, I'm learning all sorts of posh words now, was in early medieval times, although the suspicion is that there were many, many more earlier uncharted ones. I've had a sort of handover, a bit like when a new Prime Minister steps in and is told where the bodies are buried, hopefully, not literally in his case. I've also been introduced to the bone bucket. More on this later. I duly went to be sworn in by the local archdeacon, who is just under a bishop. Sorry, I wasn't going to bring that up. He was typical of the hierarchy in the church, in that he could have come from central casting and was an accomplished speaker with a reserve of good jokes, which is essential if you hope to encourage and get anything out of volunteers. The relief amongst the rest of our pitifully few church members that they had dodged the warden job is palpable. Although I'm learning fast to duck behind a pillar if I see someone bearing bearing down on me with another job that needs doing, and I'm just the man for it. There are compensations, of course. We need to be present as often as possible. And I turned out on one exquisite May evening to see a bishop confirm a young couple into the church which could have happened pretty much unchanged as a service for over 500 years on that very spot. It was beautifully done, and a moment that made me feel glad to be alive. And the bone buckets? Apparently bones in the churchyard can work their way to the surface from time to time. I'm not sure how they do, but they are recognisable as human. I resist the urge to go into Hamlet's Alas Poor Yorick, but just help to collect them into the bucket from where they are duly reinterred when there are enough to make up a body or two. It's one of the many reasons I've requested cremation, preferably after I'm dead. Episode 27 continued. 100 not out. I do not do much for my fellow man, but I'm proud to carry on in the footsteps of my parents by donating blood. I started in the mid-1970s in Bedford and not so long ago gave my 100th pint. It is 350 millilitres these days, of course, but I cannot relate to that. I see that we have around 10 pints in our bodies, so I've been drained and refilled myself 10 times, which is an image I can now never get out of my head. The only other image that I cannot shake is when, at 50 pints, a well-meaning, if somewhat blunt, nurse said to me, Well done, Mr Harrison. That's a bathful. I've only been able to have showers ever since. It made me pause to think how things have changed over the 40-odd years since I started. At the beginning, the staff looked like nurses with their short skirts, black tights, aprons, frilly caps. Oh dear, I've said it again. As you can imagine, they are all in trousers now, with not a cap or an upside-down watch in sight, and are donut carers. I have to say that, if anything, they are slightly more adept at slipping the needle in. It was also much more basic in the beginning, with big needles, 
rubber tubing and glass bottles to carry the blood. They were kept in milk crates for all the world like a doorstep delivery to Dracula's castle. If you had the temerity to feel slightly unwell afterwards, you were hustled out into the corridor and told to brace up, put your head between your knees and not upset the other punters. I imagine you will be offered counselling today, but I've been bracing up for over 40 years, so never really needed it. I also miss the jokes, the carry-on classic of just a little prick, which is probably an imprisonable offence now, has been replaced by just a small scratch. Probably as well. It must have pulled after, after the ten thousandth time of telling. One thing has not changed is the dynamics of the donor. It was always about 70-30 in favour of women who have more of the caring gene and are generally braver than us chaps. Not that I ever got evangelical about being a donor, but if I ever discussed it, most of the people I came across had the very rarest of ailments that sadly prevented them from donating. My favourite was small veins. Apparently less than 3% of the UK population donates, so more is needed, although I understand that blood-saving techniques are used more in operations these days. No, I don't want to know how that plays out either. I'm not much given to emotion, but I first received an unexpected text from the blood service a couple of years ago now, telling me that the blood I had given on the 4th of October had been used in life-saving surgery in Peterborough Hospital. It was unexpected, surprisingly affecting, and brought a slight prickle to my eyes. I do not get a message every time, so I am waiting, as is a modern way of disclosure, for a text saying, Sadly, your blood went off whilst waiting to be used, so we tipped it down the sink. So what now? Well, I will carry on until I can do no more. My dad had to give up at the age of 65 as per the rules in his day, and he was quite upset about it. He went on to live for another 28 years, so he could have done a lot more. I'm also waiting for my invitation to the 100 celebratory lunch, all liver and red wine. I went to one after 75 donations and it was reassuringly inexpensive following on from the practice of donating in drafty village halls because they are cheap to rent. It was full of diffident people who did not want a song and dance or to be paid but were quietly pleased to be recognised. I should say they were also very pale. Episode 27 Continue Continued is simples. You drive it onto the beach until it stops. One of life's great pleasures for us is to rent a boat and drive it over deep blue seas with the sun beating down. We've done it in a number of resorts in the Mediterranean, scattering innocent swimmers from Mallorca to Italy and a number of Greek islands along the way. The only slight dragonfly in the ointment is the ever-increasing bureaucracy involved in such innocent pleasures particularly regarding anchoring. Now you might think that all you do is pitch up, throw the anchor over the side, and that is it. Little is further from the truth. It remains one of the greatest potential sources of marital discord known to man. The Italians in particular are fierce guardians of their seaweed, and woe betide if you throw a careless anchor and it drags. The fines can be a thousand euros, and with the maps they provide you with, clearly drawn by five-year-olds, 
it is bordering on the impossible to work out if you are in a zone not allowed or not. They police it in speedboats with flashing blue lights and sirens, all dressed as rear admirals. I kid you not. So you can imagine the tension as you approach the beach, juggling throttles against the tide whilst your mate holds the anchor and chain, which is about half her weight, I should say, waiting for the anguished command. Jokes around the way anchor instructions go down, well, like a heavy anchor. Even more difficult is when you are forced to anchor by the boat line and swim the rest of the way to the beach. Boats have a habit of drifting towards each other like lovers, but with a more upsetting outcome. So when collecting our most recent Greek boat, we tentatively inquired about the local best practice. It's simples. You drive the boat up onto the beach until she stops. Now, before we had first set foot in such a vessel, I imagine this is how it always happened. I've clearly been watching too many films. So, how did it go? I imagine the anguished Greek cries of save my child as we steamed into Drenia Beach at an alarming rate of knots. Me, with a determined expression, whilst frantically looking for the brakes, and my mate in the bow, relieved to be free of her anchor duties, but unsure whether her marriage vows of nearly 50 years meant that she had to stick with me in this dangerous manoeuvre or dive over the side to save herself. The decision was taken out of her hands as we slithered to a halt with a thwack, whereupon I resumed my normal state of quiet confidence, having survived yet another disaster. I did wonder how I was going to refloat the craft from the car park but hey, that could wait until after a long lunch. Uh, no apropos this week. We've had three solid days of grandchildren care and we're away for the weekend tomorrow and we haven't even started to pack yet. So uh, not really a lot of spare time for apropos. But we'll see. We're going to Prince Charles's Garden in Highgrove. So I'll let you know if there's any apropos from that adventure.